episode 20, chapter 3 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Chris Lambert. And I'm Josh Havens. We're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that He will help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. On this chapter of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast, Josh and I are going to be talking about what may be a dangerous subject. We're going to be talking about books and some of our favorite books. And the reason why this is dangerous is because I don't know if we can limit it. (laughs) So we're going to try to get done with this in about 15 minutes. And so let's see what happens. So the idea is here is we want to explore some of the books that we have found most helpful for our own uh, discipleship lives, um, some of our favorites of all time, some of the favorites that we've read uh, in the last year or so. So, uh, Josh, where do you want to start? Let's talk about our favorite all-time books. Let's do that. So that, Favorite all-time book. The fa- favorite all-time book, the one that just it's always in your head or you continually come back to it. You read it and you, it changed your life. You okay, so here's the, the problem that you were talking about right off the bat. It's popped up its head and it's already right mm-hmm. there. I knew it was going to happen. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a nonfiction and then a fiction. Oh, well, no, I, I, I do believe in... in because I think that's legit. That, that's, that's legit. That's right. <laughs> so uh, we'll start with the fiction. My favorite fiction book of all time... Uh, would probably have to be The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis. It's the the last book in the Chronicles of Narnia series, and it's kind of, it's a little bit of Lewis's eschatology mixed in with uh, really his whole view of how God interacts with the world. And so it, Lewis just has some really great perspectives on on that. and. One of Lewis's entire po- points with uh, Aslan through the entire Chronicles of Narnia is Aslan exists so that you can get to know him better in our world, so that you can get to know Jesus better in our world. Total parallel between Aslan and Jesus. That's intentional. It's supposed to be there. And it's not that Aslan is Jesus. It's that Aslan exists to help us understand Jesus a little bit better from Lewis's perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think he does that really well in the last battle in so many ways. There's, there's a little bit of controversy in the book in that some people claim that Lewis is a universalist because of all the different people that end up making it into the new Narnia. Um, but Lewis is not a universalist. And I think even if you read the last battle, there are too many, too many places where it's evident that not everybody is experiencing the new Narnia in the same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, So, like, one of my favorite examples is inside the door that leads you to the new Narnia, uh, which this door was the the shack that, uh, it it was the door of a a larger shack, a barn, and um, some of the the bad guys on the outside had put a group of dwarves on the inside of this barn, and uh, that's all these dwarves thought it was. But when Aslan's people came through, they walked through the door and they walked into this bright, wide open field. And these dwarves are just sitting there in the middle of this bright, wide open field. But all they experience and all they see is the dirty, dingy shack around them. Mm -hmm. And it's not a statement about heaven. It's a statement about the Christian life, really. We can get so caught up in the 
the moment and the the here and now and what what's going wrong in our lives that we don't see what God's actually doing around us. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a, a really great statement. Then my favorite nonfiction book uh, would have to be Brennan Manning's The Ragamuffin Gospel. Um, Brennan Manning uh, spent uh, his early years as a uh, a priest and uh, wanted to get married, got out of the priesthood, and through his entire life struggled with alcohol. And so Brennan Manning's entire life was really this wrestling with who he was as a child of God. Uh, he's got another great book, Abba's Child, uh, where he, he talks about that a little bit more. And then uh, the Ragamuffin Gospel is really about how the gospel is not meant for people who have it all together. The Ragamuffin Gospel says that God uh, loves you as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are as we should be. And it's not an excuse for sinful behavior. It's that it's really that God died for us while we were still sinners, and that God invites us on this long, long journey of transformation. And it's one movement of grace as we stumble and we uh, fall down sometimes in the Christian life. And it's, uh, I, like, I like what he says uh, most, I think it's toward the end of the book. He says, the, the true disciples aren't the ones who, who have it all figured out. It's the ones who, after life has lined their faces a bit, uh, say, yeah, I'm, I'm still a ragamuffin but there's something different about me because of who he is, not really because of who I am. And so it's, that's spoken to me a lot personally, and it's, it's one of my favorites. I would recommend everybody jump on it and read this book. Uh, I recommend you read the Chronicles of Narnia too, but if you're going to pick one, read the Ragamuffin Gospel. It's, it's not a long book. It's written for uh, everybody to read and be able to understand. It's it, really enjoy reading Brennan Manning's work. In fact, you can get on YouTube and look up a lot of his sermons and find that a lot of his sermons are word for word things that he's memorized and chapters of the Ragamuffin Gospel are just those sermons transcribed. So you can look up Brennan Manning's sermons on YouTube and find uh, individual sermons that he's given and read the Ragamuffin Gospel and think, yeah, I've heard this before. And he writes and reads, or he writes exactly like he speaks. So Super great to to listen to, and that's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I can't. Yeah, I don't necessarily have a favorite fiction one, or I won't go there. I have a lot of different favorite books that I would that I would put in here, just because they've been uh, so instrumental and life changing in my life. Um, I think the one that I'm going to talk about right now. I just was looking through my Kindle app on on the phone and and found this one that I sometimes forget about which seems weird until I see it and then I say oh yeah I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Mere Discipleship by uh Lee Camp. And what I like about the book the most um is, so you kind of recognize Mere Discipleship is sort of a play on Mere Christianity from CS Lewis. Uh by the way CS Lewis is also a good one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> mere Christianity, but um the 
Radical Christianity in a Rebellious World is the subtitle of this book. And the reason why I would choose this book over some of maybe the others is because this guy is also a student from a lot of those other books. And so he's synthesizing a lot of the stuff that has been part of my process and part of the journey uh, of me learning that Christianity is not, let's just say, part of the political landscape of the United States of America. Like, there is such a difference from the kingdom of God versus what we see as a worldly political system. And so growing up, a lot of those things were very intertwined for me. And so that's been a huge thing for me to learn and to come out. And it's not that politics don't matter. In fact, I would argue it matters even more. But it's not about our worldly political system in the way that we go about advancing the kingdom of God and spreading the gospel and and then how that life translates um, into our everyday life, especially. Uh, uh, so if I could just read a, uh, a, a real quick quote from maybe two quotes, because I'm going to break the rules, but like, discipleship is not rooted in mere belief that operates in the realm of the private. Quite the contrary. Discipleship is rooted in a claim regarding the lordship of Christ, and lordship is meaningless unless it denotes a claim to ultimate authority. To claim Christ as Lord flies in the face of constitutional theory that makes religion both private and subordinate. And so it's like, it's ideas like this that really set me on fire for understanding the gravity of what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, King Jesus. So then, uh, learning to live as a disciple and following him and building a lifestyle says, how do I live in this world today as an alien in a strange land, right? Like, then it starts, it, it, it has started to make sense to me then when I read other things that Jesus says about, um, you know, pick up your cross and follow me, and if the world hated me, they're going to hate you, and you're going to have tough times, and persecution will come. Because again, growing up in, in the South, in the United States, it's kind of like, oh, well, like everybody's Christian. I mean, that's the, that's the culture, like, so everything is, is good to go. And so, yeah, learning how countercultural Christ and the lordship of Christ, that, that proclamation of his lordship really is, has been a, uh, a huge part of, of my development, and then again, the breaking away from it just being a belief system, which has translated heavily into what we're doing here at Daily Growth Discipleship. Is, it's not a belief system. It, it has to fundamentally be a lifestyle and a calling. And so, yeah, I'd say mere discipleship. So what then, uh, let's look at like the last six months to a year. What's been the most, uh, what's been your favorite book that you've read or looked at in the last six months to a year? For Christian books, I would say it's going to be, and the reason I only put the Christian books on there is because some of the other books I've, they've been more fun to read perhaps, but (laughs) maybe not as life-changing. You Are What You Love by James K. Smith. It's actually a perfect follow-up for what I just got done talking about there with Lee Kent, because he starts to define why we do the things that we do. So a lot of what I've been reading and thinking about for the last two years uh, around the idea of habits has really influenced me on how I uh, um, put together my spiritual disciplines, the way I've sort of organized my spiritual life, and I think there's a lot of good value to that incorporating habits and things like from Charles Duhigg's book, which is 
was just a wonderful book for me to to read just because he's an excellent writer. But what Smith does in his book, You Are What You Love, is he comes along and he critiques some of this worldly idea that we are thinking things. A lot of what we think in, in sort of our scientific age is that we're, we are brains with bodies. And so he calls it thinking thingism, which is, just cracks me up every time he uses it. Um, instead, he says, instead, we are primarily motivated from our hearts, the things that we desire. And the things that we desire, the things that we love, determine who we end up becoming because we chase those things. And so he, he, he incorporates a lot of the stuff from, from like Charles Duhigg's habits and a lot of the other research that's been coming out about it, and then invites us into a way of creating what he calls liturgies, little L's, these little stories that help us live into the desires of our hearts and create habits, routines, and look at the things around us in our life that we're doing and try to understand how those things shape us how those things that we love, how those things that we're pursuing are literally changing us into either the image of God or they're changing us away from that and turning us more into the image of the world. And so that has been a very impactful book, and it's just, it's wonderfully uh, uh, written, and it's uh, very insightful. So for me, I think the, my favorite in the last, I've even read this one within the last six months, has been Francis Chan's Letters to the Church. I've always kind of struggled with the idea of how we do church. It just feels very kind of blah for me sometimes. It feels like we come to church on Sundays, we do the church thing, we go to work and have the weekend, and then we come back and do the church thing again. And in Letters to the Church, Francis Chan doesn't, he doesn't blast all that. He doesn't say that those things need to just go away. But he does call the church to start doing a little introspection, start asking, why are we doing some of the things we're doing? What does the, what does the Bible really call the church to be? And Francis Chan and his family have been on a journey really the last uh, 15, 20 years from what I've seen of God taking them through uh, multiple church plants, some missions work. And one of the things that God's been helping them work through is this idea that church has to be built around programs. It has to be built on all these different things that we do as the church. When really for, for him, what he's learned is that it, the church is built around these relationships. It's about the relationships that we have with each other as the body of Christ. It's about living life in such a way that uh, we know what our neighbor is doing. We know where our neighbor is at. We know what God's doing in their lives, and we participate in that together. And so then for him, things like singing together as a congregation is a corporate response to what we know God is doing in the body. Mm -hmm. And so if I know that God's blessed you with a car when you had no money to buy a car, and you know that I didn't have food for my table this last week, but God all of a sudden dropped food on our front doorstep literally out of nowhere, man, think of what a song of gratitude sounds like from a body that knows that those things have happened in the lives of every single person in that body. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a call to not do away with traditional church that we've all grown up in. It's a call to examine what we're doing. And it's 
I really enjoyed it. And Francis Chan, if you've heard him speak or uh, watched any of his videos on YouTube, it's it's basically once again like listening. Re- your reading is about like listening to him speak. It's just a very conversational book. It's easy to read. He even uh, kind of has these fourth wall breaks where he says, "Okay, stop. You probably just read that and didn't even think about what I just wrote. Go back and read it again." And so, uh, and, and he nailed me on it too. Like <laughs> I did exactly that, and he caught me in the middle of it. And so it's, uh, it was a, it was a great read, very, very thoughtful and it's helped me a lot. So it's awesome. Um, any books come to mind? It's just for like their super practicality. If, if somebody's just wanting to pick something up and, uh, you know, maybe it's a quick read, but then there's a lot of takeaways. Like, so some of the books that we've read or we've talked about so far are really heady and especially my books have been really heady. And so they've, They've primarily helped me just work through thoughts that then end up working themselves out. But it, just if we could take like 30 seconds or 60 seconds and recommend some books that are very practical and have some really good takeaways. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, we actually talked to a few episodes ago, Russell Verhey, mm. uh, and he wrote a book called The Conversationalist. So a few years ago, Chris and I and uh, another friend of ours, Brandon, started a podcast in a a website called Theology in Progress. And our entire philosophy was, let's have honest and open conversations about the things that we struggle with because the truth can be questioned and we can grow by asking those questions. Uh, And so we've always been intrigued by this idea of having conversations like this. And Russell's book is the book, I think, on having simple conversations. I mean, he talks about different levels of conversations. You don't have to have a professional coaching license. You don't have to have this all figured out. You can literally work on developing these life-defining relationships where God does amazing things in casual conversations talking about sports. Mm -hmm. And his entire book is built around just very simple tips on how you can start to have better conversations. And a lot of it is really just about not valuing you but valuing the other person, valuing what God's doing in their life, and then showing a genuine interest in that. Yeah. And he walks you through how to do a lot of that stuff in a very simple way. Uh, it's, it's very easy to read, and it's got a lot of really practical tips and applications. So I would highly recommend that. That is a really good one. Um, uh, so, oh man, it just jumped to three. <laughs> okay, let me, let me say, so in, previous, in a previous chapter, I talked about The Common Rule by uh, Justin Early. That's a really, really practical book. That's a really great one. The other one that I would suggest that's really practical is How to Grow by um, Daryl Dash. And so that book is just, it, it's, it gives you a really good introduction to the gospel. And, and I say introduction, a lot of times when we hear that word, we think elementary, but it's not elementary. It's just, it's a really good this is the gospel presentation, and then shows you how to live out of that so that you can grow every day. But then the last thing that I think has been one of the most practical takeaways from our podcast thus far, 20 episodes, is to explore the Enneagram. So if you have not looked into the Enneagram, first off, you can go back and you can listen to our conversations with um, Christopher Hewitt or with Adele Calhoun, who's also got a book on the Enneagram. And you can check out either of their books or both, they will both help you tremendously in discovering who God has created you to be 
and so that you can begin to walk so authentically in that pattern and in that way that I think you're going to see phenomenal results in your walk personally and with your relationships as well, because you're going to understand who you are and who it is that God has made you to be. So those would be my recommendations. And uh, so that now you, you got a good shopping list ahead of you. So uh, go over to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or your Christian bookstore and pick and, up a bag of books. And if you go through the show notes and click on some of the links there to get to these books in Amazon, you'll also help support Daily Growth Discipleship through our Amazon affiliate program. So you should definitely do that. Unless you've got like a gift card to Barnes & Noble and then by all means go spend your gift card because I would do that too. Yes. <laughs> How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to give us a review and then share this episode with someone else. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation this week, where Chris and I talk about the most valuable lessons we've learned in the Christian life. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.